the VC funding angel investment route is right for some businesses and some founders. I think it ruins a lot of businesses and a lot of founders as well. Um, and I don't think that I would have personally as a human being flown in, in that kind of, in that world because the business, whilst it's a brilliant idea and I think will continue to be a sustainable business in, you know, the competitor that acquired us, but it's not something that gives me great joy. Mm. It, it wasn't the business I was born to lead. It wasn't the business that I woke up every morning thinking, oh my God, I'm so grateful that I get to run this business. It it felt really hard. Mm. So I don't think I would have taken, well, I know I shouldn't have taken the path of raising investment. And if I had, I think it would have been, you know, a very difficult path and probably not the right one for me. Welcome to Anatomy of a Leader, a video podcast that shows you that there are many faces of leadership, that perfection doesn't and shouldn't exist, and that making mistakes or taking detours can often lead to deep insights about your superpowers. My name is Maria Vorostovsky. I'm a headhunter and founder of HVO Search, and I help ambitious leaders hire the most in-demand, high-potential C-suite talent. Each week, let me take you on a journey to discover what leadership truly is and how you too can get to the very top. And in the meantime, help us reach 1,000 subscribers. Hit that red subscribe button below and the bell icon so you don't miss a single episode. This show will challenge the way you think and may even change your life. Hannah, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Really a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very excited. So you are a podcast pro. <laughs> so I feel slightly intimidated. I feel like I have to do a really, really good job now. Um, but it's nice to also have you on the other end to ask you some questions about this. Well, I just have to say I I'm, I'm, wouldn't definitely class myself as a podcast pro because I run a podcast business, but very rarely am I actually the one in front of the microphone. So I'm equally as nervous as you are. Well, I usually start with questions about your background, but today I wanted to try something different. Great. I love talking about superpowers when it comes to individuals and what makes them unique, and particularly about entrepreneurs and why they do the things that they do. And I always believe at the heart, you know, entrepreneurs are trying to change the world in one way or another. So my question is, what is your superpower? And how do you hope to change the world? Oh, big question. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. I think, I don't know if it's a superpower, but I think something that I lean on a lot is my curiosity. So I think I have, and and you could frame this maybe in in not a positive way, but I choose to frame it in a positive way, which I think I have a very curious brain and it means that I can be interested in one thing very intensely and deeply one day. And then actually the next day I might be very intensely and deeply interested in something else. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I have really enjoyed and I really value that running the business that I run allows me to be curious about lots of things every single day and to kind of play that role in a positive sense. So I really view curiosity as, you know, the ability to kind of keep keep your blinkers open. So, um, you know, I'm inhaling different pieces of information. I'm having conversations with different people. My brain is constantly considering, you know, different strategies or maybe different show ideas or whatever they may be. And I think that that curiosity has definitely been something that has served me well. And I think I've had to really learn to view it as a positive thing rather than just thinking that, why can't I sit down and concentrate on one thing for eight hours and just, you know, just, just concentrate on that one thing. Mm. But actually if I reframe it and think of it as something that allows me to maybe view the world um, more, yeah, just more curiously, um, then, then I do think it has been a superpower. Mm. I do believe with everything, we're always on a continuum of a paradox mm. or a strength that if overused or overplayed is actually not as useful. It's only useful in maybe 80% of the mm. cases, but not all the time. You know, the kind of this 
very cliched example of, you know, being a perfectionist where, you know, trying to get everything correct or everything right, but actually ultimately it sort of holds you back. So I do feel that we're always on a continuum rather than just one or the other. So it's interesting that you kind of, you pick up on that as well. And I think it also, you know, it has really, the success of my business, I believe, is because I run the business with my sister, my business partner, Faith. And I think that whilst we're not, you know, I would never pit us against each other as polar opposites. I think we bring very different core strengths and core ways of working to the table. And so my curiosity is tempered by Faith's attention to detail. And I think without that yin and that yang, you know, our business would be a very different place. And I don't, I know that I wouldn't personally have had the success that I've had if I wasn't able to temper it. And maybe some soul founders do that in themselves and they are able to kind of master both of those skills. But for me, it's definitely been kind of the yin to my yang as my sister and my business partner. Mm. When did you realize that you wanted to work with your sister or that you could work with your sister? Because when you're, you know, family member, you know, you know each other really well, but at the same time, you know, it's like, you, you know what their weak points are as well. And, you know, spending enormous times together as you do, especially in a, you know, a small business or a startup. How, how did you decide to do that? Well, we weren't close at all as children. So, um, I'm three years older than Faith and I was really disinterested in her to be Frank, sorry, Faith. <laughs> um, but we we weren't close and, and mm-hmm. we didn't really get close actually until I was 18 and I left home and I went on my gap year and we sort of found our friendship almost as sisters through email. So I was traveling the world and she was still at home. She was 15 or 16 and we would send each other these really long emails. And actually I would love to dig them out because um, she's getting married in a couple of weeks. So that would be a good addition to the speech. But Um, we started to kind of find our feet as individuals, I think at sort of 15 and 18 and realized that she was pretty cool. And actually, you know, I did want to hang out with her and I I did really like her. Um, but we started working together when I was 26 and Faith was 23. So she had had, um, one really big job out of university working in TV and, I had sort of started founding this business for a year or so without her. And we talked about it all the time. And, you know, we talked about her job when she was doing so, so well. And we talked about the business that I was building. And and we just, you know, eventually kind of fell into the pattern where we were talking about it so much that it it just made no sense for Faith not to be involved in the business. And she quit her job and, and joined Leia Home, which was the first business that we started together. And I think our partnership at Leia was was less about the yin and the yang. And actually it was like more about holding each other's hands. So we did everything together and it was, you know, all new to us. And we hadn't really, I guess, found our feet, our specific sort of feet. Um, but we, yeah, we went to every meeting together. We ran every email past each other. It was hugely inefficient, but really fun. <laughs> and then I think, you know, we fast forward a couple of years and, and we sold that business. And then again, we took, we both took a bit of time apart to figure out what we wanted to do. And just the sort of the forces of, of gravity, of gravity of nature kept pulling us back together again. And, and we started working together on Mag's Creative, which is the business we run now. And four years later, since starting that business, you know, we, I really think we've sort of found our groove in a way that is really powerful. And I, you know, I'm, very lucky to work with my sister Mm. and for it to work so well. Mm. I think going into a business on your own can be extremely difficult because, Mm. you know, you can probably deal with a lot of things, but in my experience, it's dealing with your own emotions. And when you're talking about having somebody to hold your hand almost, I think that's what a lot of many entrepreneurs, I feel like even if they don't say it, I'm sure it's part of, you know, the, the hardship that comes with it, which is why, you know, looking for mentors or looking for peers or communities or groups that can help you to alleviate that just so that you can feel that you're not alone in this boat. And it's amazing to be able to rediscover your sister in such a way as well. And most importantly, also to have this 
separation is like, well, you're good at these things and I'm good at these things. And even though you said that you were very inefficient in the beginning, <laughs> still being able to kind of find the different paths for you. But you've mentioned that, and I didn't know this, you've mentioned that you you also st you started a different business with your sister before. Tell me about that and um, and how you arrived at that. So we started a business called Layer Home, which was an online marketplace for quite high-end design furniture. So it's sort of like a niche eBay for mid-century chairs or Swedish antique chest of drawers. And we started the business because um, my mom actually has a huge interest in furniture and interiors and design and has done that for many, many years. And we would always go to markets with her from when we were really young. So we would go to Kempton or Sunbury or um, Ardingley and all these different markets and, and buy these beautiful pieces in person. And then we thought, you know, this this whole process needs to be online. How do, mm -hmm. how do you do it if you can't get up at five o'clock in the morning and go to Kempton Market? Like, what do you do? <laughs> and so we started building this marketplace business and um, we bootstrapped the business. So we didn't take any investment and Faith and I built the business essentially through content. So we created loads of blog content. We did loads of collaborations with influencers. We built up a really powerful social kind of channel. We had lots of newsletter subscribers. I can't even remember how many, but tens of thousands and all of this without any budget, but just really organically trying to build a community and trying to kind of create this, you know, authentic content around vintage design furniture. And we took the business to, to a point, I think, and I'm incredibly proud of what we achieved, but I think the business that we were building needed investment. And I don't think that we were the right people to build that business. So we sold the business in 2017, I think, um, to a competitor who had started at the same time as us um, and had built their business in a completely different way. They'd started almost, you know, to the day at the same time as us, but they had focused on building really, really great tech and on raising capital. And I think in a market where you are selling one-off individual pieces, so there's only one of those vintage sideboards and you've got to find the one person that's got a fairly substantial budget to buy that one-off, your digital marketing needs to be brilliant and you need to have the budget to experiment with that. We didn't. We were building this amazing community of people that loved the, the look and the vibe, but they didn't necessarily have the budget. We, you know, we hadn't got smart around targeting. We were just building a community of people that liked interiors and, you know, doing it really, really well. And those people were engaged, but it was a slow, it is a slow burn business, I believe, unless you have the investment to build out the tech, build out the marketing and really kind of reach scale quite quickly. And so we sold the business um, and it wasn't a life-changing, you know, people talk about exiting. It makes me, um, it, it wasn't, you know, anything like that. It was a, a nice rounding up of a business that we had, we had run for a couple of years. And I learned so much from that experience that I've taken into Mag's Creative, which I think is a lot about right person, right business, right funding model, all of those things need to align for a business to be successful and for the founder and for the employees to believe that they're working on the right thing at the right time with the right funding in place. And so it was a brilliant learning experience mm. um, and maybe a failure, you know, maybe the business didn't, we didn't take it to fly. It, it, it isn't, you know, still in existence, but it's a failure that I am so grateful for because I think it has set us on the path that we're on now. And I know that, you know, we're in the right place, building the right business with the right funding decisions, um, with the right people. And I don't think we would have got there without that kind of couple of years of experience. I was, I'm reading this book called Experts and He's a surgeon who became a professor and he's an expert, I suppose, in studying experts across mm. different disciplines. And he talks about the difference between failure and errors. And I like to talk about failure on on the show because I think we we learn from the things that don't work out. But I think and I think the word failure needs to be redefined because I think he although he doesn't say it in quite the same words, but this is how I'm interpreting what he's saying is that failure is almost finite. It's something that's fatal. And I suppose for a surgeon, you know, failure would be 
somebody's life on the line versus errors which happen all the time and this is the things that we you know we we learn and how do you you know which point is it you've gone too far or you've done too little and that's how we build on to become experts so do you see this as a failure or do you see it as an error i think when i was in it the whole experience felt like a failure because I looked at the shiny businesses around me and thought, oh my God, why is it so hard just for us? Why is it so such a slog? And it felt like we should have raised millions of pounds in seed funding and we should have been on this very shiny, high growth tech company trajectory. And I everything about it felt like a failure. And it took my mum to actually say to me, like, Hannah, you don't have to do this. And I was like, what do you mean I don't have to do this? Of course I have to do this. No one is forcing you to do this. You can do something else. And, you know, that kind of process of realisation that no one's forcing me, no one's holding a gun to my head to run this business if it doesn't feel like the right thing for me and for faith and for what we're looking to achieve with our lives. And I think now I... I use the word failure in a really like positive way because I think I learned so much from that perceived failure that I truly am so grateful for. So probably a failure because it was finite and it was, you know, the end of the business and the end of that chapter. And those learnings have continued and kind of led us to where we are now. But there was a huge sense of, um, disappointment in myself at the time that it wasn't what I thought it was going to be mm. but thank god that that's how it all turned out because mm. I think it was truly for the best do you wish you'd done something differently when you're talking about raising funds and you know doing all those things and do you really feel that that's what you I mean you're talking about you know the shoulds rather mm. than the wants right and what was right for your business at that point I am very pleased that we didn't go down that path um I think that the VC funding angel investment route is right for some businesses and some founders. I think it ruins a lot of businesses and a lot of founders as well. Um, And I don't think that I would have personally as a human being flown in, in that kind of, in that world because the business, whilst it's a brilliant idea and I think you know, will continue to be a sustainable business in, you know, the competitor that acquired us. But it's not something that gives me great joy. Mm. It it wasn't the business I was born to lead. It wasn't the business that I woke up every morning thinking, oh my God, I'm so grateful that I get to run this business. It it felt really hard. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I would have taken, well, I know I shouldn't have taken the path of raising investment. And if I had, I think it would have been you know, a very difficult path and probably not the right one for me. Hmm. And how has it changed your view on what you're doing now? It has made me incredibly proud of what we do now, um, which is, I run a podcast business, so we make podcasts, but we're storytellers. We tell stories for brands, for ourselves. We develop original content. And we've done that all without ever raising any external investment. So we've bootstrapped the business over the last four years. We're at a point where uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll have a social with 15 team members and, and we're hiring more. So I am so proud of what we've done. And I view it as so um, so lucky that we have found you know, a business that I am genuinely excited to get out of bed in the morning and run that aligns with my personal purpose that, you know, has amazing people on board, that is the right business for Faith and I to run, that we didn't feel that we needed to take venture capital or, you know, external investment to build. And, and just, you know, that we get to do something that feeds the curiosity that I spoke about every day. I'm working on, different story ideas or different business strategies or looking at new markets. And I think I feel very privileged and I feel very lucky that this is the type of business that we're building. Mm -hmm. And why podcasts? (laughs) Because when we started working together again in 2018, um, we weren't just creating audio content. So we created some video content. We created some, um, 
everything that we had sort of learned in our first business around building communities, creating content, whether that was through social or blog or copy or whatever. And we were doing all of these different things for brands and we were an agency. And both Faith and I were suffering massively from burnout and screen fatigue. So we had spent the last couple of years building a business that relied on us being on our phones, on social, on screen, just just everything was about the visual. And so when we started getting briefs in to work on audio content, it was this enormous relief. It was just this breath of fresh air. And so we lent into that and we started kind of looking for more audio work, pitching to creators, working with influencers to develop podcast concepts. And we had this sort of tipping point in about, I think about April of 2018. So only a few, maybe like three or four months into working together again. And we had some retained clients who were paying us to do all types of different content. And we had this tipping point where we thought, okay, we can carry on just sort of seeing where the podcast thing goes and, you know, hopefully it will take off enough for us to do that full time. Or we can cut ties with things that aren't podcasts and say, this is, this is where it's going. This is, we're leaning into this and we're going to open ourselves up both energetically and, you know, literally and say, this is the business that we run. And this is the type of business that we we'd like to do. And we took, we took that option and it was really scary. And, um, absolutely the right thing to do, obviously with the benefit of hindsight, because it's worked out really well, Mm -hmm. but it was a really scary decision, but I think we were lucky that the timing of that industry, it was really starting to pick up pace again. So podcasts have been around for a long time, but in 2018, there was just this real kind of burgeoning energy around the space. And it just sort of felt like something really interesting was happening here. So we listened to that, we listened to our guts and we pivoted the business. And since 2018, we've been a podcast company. Um, We make podcasts for brands like Facebook and Google and Puffin. We make original content. We make content um, exclusively for Spotify and Amazon Music. So it was the right call, um, but at the time it felt quite scary. Mm. And it's so important to do the things that scare you because, you know, if you're not pushing, if you're not moving, you're not growing and you're just sort of stagnating. And it's like, what's the saying? It's like everything that you want lies on the other side of fear. Mm. And I just think it's such a powerful emotion and how we deal with it as as people as entrepreneurs as as leaders it's so important mm. what's you know what what are you afraid of like what are you scared of it's a really good question i uh, i think the thing that used to drive me was a fear of not reaching my perceived potential so a very deep answer, but, you know, I really worried a lot about just wasting time or wasting potential, wasting brain power, wasting ideas. And I worry a lot less about that now. I've, I've had a baby and I think that something about that. <laughs> no time just, to think about those things anymore. <laughs> brings you right crashing back down to earth mm-hmm. and you think you just stop worrying about yourself, Hannah. On a day-to-day basis, I probably feel more scared about having to sit down and do a big writing task that's going to take me three hours than I would about like the fear that I'm not going to be able to concentrate or I'm not going to be able to just focus on the task. Um, Things like speaking to people or, you know, public speaking, I don't find overly scary. I find you know, obviously there's an adrenaline and you find it sort of something to to work up to. But yeah, I think, I don't know if I have a lot of fear in my day-to-day life anymore. I think, I think that's probably something that I've just worked through. Mm. You said something earlier about like, oh, exit. Oh, and I just really want to kind of, it's obviously touched a nerve for you somewhere. Mm. And there were a lot of shoulds in that point. And now you're talking about like not living up to your potential and then sort of, you know, and then the failure. It's almost like you had this bigger vision of what it could be and what you're supposed to have created. And then for one reason or another, that hasn't kind of come to fruition. I think we all experience that, you know, it's like we, 
we have to put ourselves out there mm. because if we don't, then, you know, you're just living a mediocre life and never really. And I think the reframing progress. of it for me is around what do I think is success versus what does success look like in the business world based on a TechCrunch headline, for example. And I am the first to admit that I think I've had a chip on my shoulder for a long time about, you know, not having raised raised a round of money or not having got that big shiny headline that somehow screams, you know, success. business success. Mm-hmm. But I don't really feel worried about that anymore at all. I feel that we are building a business perhaps more quietly, perhaps a little bit more slowly, um, but with integrity, with sustainability, you know, we could hopefully be a business that's around for decades, not for, you know, the next big fad. And so I think that kind of quiet confidence has really grown over the last couple of years as we've built the business. And as I've, I guess, let go to that comparison, to that idea of thinking, oh, well, if someone says that's shiny and important, then it should be shiny and important to me as well. Mm -hmm. And I feel really passionately about the idea that, you know, conventional businesses are undervalued. So conventional businesses being businesses that maybe make money, businesses that maybe build more slowly, businesses that probably in my parents' time would have been the norm, but have been overtaken by this idea that, you know, you raise lots of money, you move fast, you break things, you're high growth, you throw money at the wall and you see what happens. And for some businesses, I think, great. You know, you're challenging something big, you're taking on a huge problem and you need that money and you need that kind of mentality. But for lots of businesses, I don't think that you do. And I think this narrative needs to shift that actually sometimes business success takes, you know, five years of very, very quiet growth. And then you sort of seem like an overnight success. It takes 10 years of very quiet growth and you seem like an overnight success. And I think that's something I'm really keen to kind of explore a bit more because I think it's something I struggled with a lot when I was first kind of starting a business. There is a saying, which I'm paraphrasing, like there's no, not enough hours in the day, go slowly. Mm. And there's another great book that I've probably been talking about on every podcast now by Oliver Berkman, who has written a book called The 4,000 Weeks. You're the third person to recommend that to me this week. So I feel like yeah. that's a sign that I need to go and buy it you after have to. this. It's the best book I've read in in a couple of years and it just made me feel really relieved and at peace with the world Mm. and I want to reread it because I feel like I've just taken maybe like one percent of it but I actually want to reabsorb it again and one of the big things I took away from it is that well 4,000 weeks is how many weeks we have roughly in our lifetime and part of this sort of you know this this hustle you know, running quickly, trying to squeeze as much things out into the day. And he argues, well, it's not exactly his argument, but he articulates it in a really interesting and um, and funny way in, at times that we can't possibly fit in everything into this time. So we have to be extremely selective in terms of what we really choose to put our focus onto. And like that parable of, you know, put the big rocks in first. And he says, well, actually, no, you're not choosing between the small, medium and big. You're choosing between really big rocks. And I mean, as a parent, you will definitely identify with that. And it's like, well, choosing to, you know, spend time with your kids, running a business, having a shower. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the shower always loses out. You know, having a nap during the day, like, uh, you know, taking that extra phone call or, you know, running to the shops to get a present for your friend or whatever it is that you want to have in the day. And you have to choose. Mm. And there is something about doing things at pace when you are working towards your purpose that is what makes the difference. And, you know, sure, you you know, talking about finance, would it be the right decision? Well, maybe, it depends on what you're trying to build, but actually, maybe not. Maybe your your path is in a completely different way. And to, you know, to really be very involved, very hands-on, like seeing how, what the business is, is like from every aspect, then, you know, that's the right path. Mm, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, the idea that there's this one size fits all approach to business has just got to go. And I think it's on the way out. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people now talking about 
building businesses more slowly, more profitably, more, you know, just different to the maybe the, the narrative that's existed for a while. And I hope that that will encourage new business owners, aspiring business owners, current business owners to think that their way of running their business is right for them. And actually, we don't all have to subscribe to the same route to success because you said it's right for some people. It's Mm. absolutely right for some people, but not for everyone. Looking back now at your, you know, your yourself, maybe take yourself back to just when you were starting Layer Home. And what advice would you give yourself? The I love this question. And I think what I spend a lot of time living by now is the idea that comparison is the thief of joy and it's a great quote and I don't think I had any idea of how dangerous comparison and kind of like looking outside of your own lane could be I think Mm -hmm. the idea of staying in your own lane and being happy with the path that you're on and the decisions that you have made and you've made those decisions for a reason but not constantly second guessing yourself or thinking that the grass is greener somewhere else, I think would have saved me absolutely hours of torment as a young businesswoman at 25 or however old I was. Um, And I definitely think that, you know, how many years later? I'm 32. Do the math. Seven years later. I I think I've kind of managed to inhale that and, you know, really believe that now, but it Mm. took a really long time. I love that. That's actually the best piece of advice I've been given is to Mm. stay in your lane. And it's easier said than done because as human beings, it's in our nature to compare ourselves to others. I think for me, how I'm trying to kind of circumvent that is by at least choosing the people that I want to compare myself to in a more proactive ways like does it serve me or does it make me feel terrible Mm. about myself and this is the same thing goes about you know choosing the feed on you like I'm actually in the process of just re re looking at what my values are and whether my Instagram feed actually kind of follows that and is in line with that and just removing anyone who doesn't make me feel good Mm. about it and actually being selective as to who you compare yourself Mm. to Because there's one thing about aspiring to someone versus feeling inadequate compared to somebody else. Should I be over there? Should I be over there? Should I be doing that? Should I be living that way? It means that, well, for me, I think it was an indicator of the fact I was probably on the wrong path because Mm. I wasn't content with the decisions that I was making and I was constantly second guessing them. And I think, you know, maybe that's a sign. Maybe I should have listened to that a little bit earlier. But I think that, you know, if you can own the decisions that you're making and you've thought them through, they're based on your values, they're based on your life experience, they're your decisions, live with them, you know, and and stop thinking that someone else is doing it better because they've got their own set of, you know, whatever going on. So everyone's got different challenges, different ways of looking at life, different opportunities, different things that they just have in their Mm. kind of like their arsenal that they can rely on. Um, you said something about um, the signs. Do you have a concrete idea of what the signs were for you that you were not on the right path? I think definitely one of them was that I was constantly looking around like a magpie thinking, is that a better decision? Have they got a better life? Is that a better business? Sort of const- constantly head up thinking that the grass is greener somewhere else. So I think that was definitely a sign. I think... Um, I think that's probably the biggest sign. And I think the misalignment maybe of, by the end of running the business, it was very hard to stay motivated. And I'm a pretty motivated person, but it was really hard to care. And and I cared so much, but I just couldn't bring myself to, to care about, you know, the execution of things or the little things because it didn't feel like it was aligned with what I was meant to do and where I was meant to be and I think also the misalignment of effort versus reward so you know we were working you talk about you know the hustle culture in those two years it was ludicrous Mm -hmm. I I really was working both of us 
every hour that was available. I had zero social life. I worked all weekend. I worked all evenings. I worked all day. And the reward was so slow and so difficult and so hard won. And it didn't feel, it felt like we were pushing the wrong rock up the wrong hill, (laughs) but doing it consistently Mm -hmm. for two years. And then I wondered why we were burnt out. So I think that was probably quite a few signs. Mm. How did you realign your values to what you're doing now? I don't, it definitely wasn't a conscious process. I didn't work with a values coach. I didn't sit down one day and think, what's important to me. I think it's been a really gradual process to get to the point where we're at now. Um, I think one of the things coming out of a business like Leia Home, which was a was a business that required investment into areas that I didn't have very much control over, like digital marketing. And I I did a lot of that and I taught myself a lot of that, but we needed more money. We needed to, you know, test at scale. We were doing tiny little experiments and, you know, it, it, it wasn't, it, I wasn't able to learn at the scale that I think you needed to learn to make that business a success. I knew that in the next business that I ran, I wanted to have almost direct control over the success in the early days. So being able, you know, I run an agency in in lots of ways and being able to produce work, quote, receive a brief, quote for that work, execute that work and get paid for that work. In the early days, you know, it was me, Faith and one other person and we were able to do that. And the the success of the business was almost directly in our hands in being able to execute the work to a high standard, which we absolutely could do and, and continue to do. And I think as we've grown, I've been able to, you know, or I am able to, I have a lot less involvement in the day-to-day execution of projects, but we have an amazing team now who have been trained and who work, you know, exceptionally well and incredibly creatively to deliver those kind of results. And so it feels almost as though the success of the business is not random. It's not... um, we're building relationships with human beings and delivering really great work in a lot of places and a lot of ways in the agency side of the business. And that feels like something that we can, I don't, I hesitate to use the word control, but it feels like something that we can, you know, we have agency over. Mm -hmm. We are an agency and we have agency over the success of those projects. And I think that has been really key to the business being a success, but also Faith and I feeling as though that effort reward kind of continuum feels like it swung way more in in the right direction. So the effort that goes into making a project a success is recognized because, you know, you produce really great work for the client and we build really great relationships. And that whole, that whole, I guess, ratio feels like it it makes makes a lot more sense now. I think it's a process. Mm. You, you know, when you're talking about you had a business, didn't quite live up to the expectations that you wanted. But I think especially earlier on in our careers is we don't always know what our purpose is or who we are. And it's a process of learning and finding out about yourself. And I always suggest to young, especially young people, that just experiment, Mm. just try things. And sometimes you don't know what it's like until you're in the thick of it. And it's okay that it doesn't work out. You can make that change as you have successfully, you have found. And even in your business, you have, you've tried different things. And then this thing is actually, hold on a second, this is working. I like it. This is where we're going to direct more of our energies to. And then you begin to shape that path. You begin to connect the dots from your past experience and then make that into, you know, something that you, you're, you know, perfectly aligned for. And I think there's a lot of pressure on people now to work aligned with their purpose. And, and I think it's great when it happens. And if it happens, you know, quickly and naturally, then amazing. But what if you're 21 or 22 and, you know, you don't know what your purpose is, as you've said, try some stuff and see what you enjoy and see. I think something that we look a lot at, at Mags is what is giving us energy and what is taking energy away from the business. Mm-hmm. So there are, you know, projects or pro- or clients even, and, and they, they give you so much energy and you want to, you know, it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy because you're excited by the project. So you put more energy into it. So it's a bigger success. And I think the more of those that we can cultivate as a business and 
when it's original content, if there are ideas that come in and you can see the energy ignite within the room and within the team, that is almost like a proxy for for purpose because people are feeling something within them at their core, excited and ignited by that challenge or that purpose or that project. And so I think we try to talk a lot about energy and, you know, giving and taking away energy as opposed to people having to feel like they've nailed a sentence that defines exactly who they are and what their life's purpose is, because I certainly haven't. And Mm -hmm. I think that even people who have, it's constantly changing. Mm -hmm. And if it isn't, then you're not really growing. It's a process of exploration and it's about going with deeper within yourself. I mean, it sounds maybe cliche, but actually, you know, through the conversations with other guests on the podcast, in terms of this deep self-reflection, like we think about things, but actually taking, being proactive with, you know, having you know, more structured approach. And it's like every week, you know, I sit down even 30 minutes of just like reflective work about what do I want? Like, where do I want to go? Like, what's important to me? What do I like? We'll bring, we're talking about joy and, mm. and fun. Like what brings me, you know, what makes my heart sing? Like all of these things. And it's very easy to forget to do that. And then on the other point about companies, and I do feel that companies also have responsibility to create an entity with a strong personality and and purpose, even if it has to change at some point. But you need to have something that unites people together and brings like-minded people who really believe in that vision. And yeah, and for for people to join, especially younger people, to have something to something bigger to look up to. I think that's really important. We, um, I totally agree. And, you know, at Mags, we talk about making meaningful connections through the power of audio. And I think what that means is that the content that we make is often, or sometimes, but probably often, telling a story that might not otherwise have been told, or it's telling a story that is hoping to impact the world in a positive way. It's aiming to put kindness and positivity and light out into the world and I think the fact that we have that kind of skew on podcasts I guess an angle on podcasts I think brings a lot of people into the fold I think it brings the team a great deal of fulfillment and joy I think it means that we get to work with people who see that and recognize that and think those are the people I want to work with. Mm -hmm. Um, And you sort of attract people by the body of work that you're putting out there. So if that's our sort of guiding light, then I would hope that clients or, you know, individuals who are looking to podcast that come to us will see the type of work that we do and will think, yes, that's what I want to do. And so it's, again, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. What makes a, what makes an excellent podcast? Asking for a friend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the thing that we spend a lot of time doing with podcasts is, is the kind of the very early stages of what is the purpose of this podcast? Why should it exist? Who do I want to listen to it? What's already out there? Why am I different? How am I, how is the story that I'm telling different? And so that kind of, it is quite self-reflective, that kind of interrogation, landscaping work at the start, I think saves a huge amount of time further down the line. And if you nail that and you get your your positioning right, you, you know, we, we create a positioning document for each of our kind of podca- podcasts that we launch, then I think you've answered a lot of the questions. And the three things that we kind of look for in a successful podcast are great content. So, I mean, I say that like it's an easy thing, but, you know, don't. I don't think anyone should underestimate the fact that you are asking people to give 30 to 40 to 60 to 90 minutes of their time to listen or to watch something. And in a world where you're lucky if you get a double tap to get a like, I think take that really seriously. So make bloody great content, do it consistently. So release, you know, either every week or every other week, but whatever you're going to do, do it consistently. And so listeners get to know when to expect your show, when to build it into their listening routines. We know that kind of super listeners listen to around seven hours of podcasts a week. So you want to grab one of those slots. And then the third thing I think that a lot of people overlook is like podcasting is a long game. So you need to look for longevity. You need to believe that the show you're making could make 150, 200 episodes and still be producing something that, you know, ticks all of those boxes that you you outlined in your positioning document at the start. And that's as well how you should think about success of a podcast. Because when we started in 2018, 
it was much easier to make an overnight hit. And now, you know, it very rarely happens. There are very few shows that launch and the next day are suddenly kind of big bestsellers, bestsellers, best chart toppers is probably the right (laughs) phrase to use. Um, And so thinking about podcasts over years rather than weeks is how we really like to start working with people. Mm. Really good point. I'm going to have to re-listen and (laughs) retake notes on that. Um, And this is something that I've been thinking about in terms of People who, or brands, you know, you work with brands, you work with individuals, um, companies, entities. When you're creating a podcast, part of it is curiosity in other people. Another is about maybe showcasing your expertise in a certain field or talking to individuals who work within your industry. Like, how can podcasting help you become a better leader? or showcase that you are a leader in a particular space? I think what podcasting forces people to do is to get very clear on their message. And I think, as I said just now, the fact that podcasts are a big ask, they're asking attention from people in a very attention poor world. They force you to work out what is powerful about what I've got to say. Why should people care? Who am I saying it to? And how am I going to deliver it in a way that's going to keep them engaged? So in terms of leadership skills, I would say it absolutely works on your communication skills. And if you can nail it, then delivering your message through podcasting in a way that is intimate and authentic and goes directly into the into the ears of your audience is an incredibly powerful way to do that. And I think in terms of showcasing your yourself as a leader within a particular field, I think, again, that comes back to what does success look like for this podcast? Because, you know, there are shows where success is reaching an audience of 100 to 150 very clearly defined professionals within a particular field. That show is never designed to be the number one show in the UK or the US or the world. It is designed to influence and attract and engage 100 or 150 people who maybe they're thought leaders, maybe they're potential clients, maybe that individual just needs that person to know that they are a thought leader in their space. So I think if you are able to define what the purpose of your podcast is and therefore what success looks like to you, then being able to show up as a leader in your space becomes much easier because you're not looking to, well, in some cases, maybe the success is that I want to to create a top 10, you know, regularly chart topping show, in which case, you know, you've got to look at your audience numbers and you've got to look at what are people listening to what is going to engage the mass market? And does that really set me apart as a thought leader in my professional field or does it make me an entertainer? Maybe entertainment is my professional field. Um, So I think, yeah, defining success, working out who your audience is, and then making sure that, that you as a podcaster are, you know, aligning yourself and your message with that audience and that success factor is sort of how you, you make it as a thought leadership piece. Hmm. For companies, wanting to have their own podcast. How important is it who the host is? And how do you decide that? Again, a really good question. Um, I think it comes down to, as a brand, as a company, what's the message that we're trying to get across? Is it, is this the podcast that is a corporate podcast and we're appealing to maybe our competitors, maybe our investors, maybe our employees, in which case you've got, you know, one route that you're going down. (laughs) Is this a consumer facing podcast where, you know, we're looking to engage people that love our brand or we're looking to make people love our brand, in which case I'd say, you know, your tone of voice and the way that you want to present yourself is completely different. So I think it comes down to, you know, what sort of level, what sort of audience, what sort of tone of voice are we looking to present? And then that sort of feeds into how we would go about talent booking for a host. And maybe it's someone internal or maybe it's someone external whose values align with the brand, who, you know, is an ambassador for the brand already sometimes. Maybe they're just a fan of the brand. And so you find someone who, you know, can represent you in a way that that aligns with what you're looking to achieve and the audience you want to speak to. Mm. They're very helpful tips. <laughs> I can ask you all these questions like for forever, but um, <laughs> let me ask you one last question. Okay. 
What does leadership mean to you? I love this question. Um, a kind of philosophy that I really subscribe to is Brene Brown's idea of vulnerability being a really key part of leadership. And I think the ability to be vulnerable as a leader, to admit when you've made mistakes, to challenge your own way of thinking, to look at things really critically, to change course, to change direction, and to do that in a way that people come with you, that people feel inspired and not disappointed. Um, and that also allows other people to recognize their own vulnerability, I think is something that I massively subscribe to. And I certainly don't always get it right, but I certainly try to live by that and to kind of show my vulnerability as much as I can. And I think we do, you know, naturally, as I've talked about, we've failed at businesses. I talk very openly about that. We've pivoted, we've changed courses, we've tried things, we've experimented. And I think that that takes a certain level of vulnerability to go gung-ho into a, a, a project and then decide that actually that's not the right course for us and take all the data that you've, you've gathered and make the decision to, you know, to scale back or to change course or to, to move direction. Um, so I think vulnerability, big one in leadership for me. Mm. I think as leaders, we we have to bring our humanity to it. And I don't think we're always that's skilled at bringing ourselves to it. Mm. And to me, leading comes followers. And like, how do you engage with other people? And how do you connect with a large group of people around a common purpose? And if you can't be vulnerable, how can anybody really believe that what you have to say is, is true? You need to see the human behind that. And I really believe that. We um, we worked recently with a coach called Mika Vipan and she talks about high performance with humanity. And I think that totally in a, you know, in a, in a, in a moment she had sort of defined, I guess, how we try to, to lead the business, which is we have big ambitions. We want to achieve a lot as entrepreneurs. We, we hold ourselves to really high standards. And I, and I think that means we hold others to high standards as well. But if you can do that and you can do that with humanity, I think that's a brilliant way to lead and a brilliant way to kind of live. Mm. The first thing you said was your superpower is curiosity and then tying it in with being open and being vulnerable. And I think there to parts of the same coin because in order to be curious you need to be open because mm. it's about what, what do I not know what's behind the door like you know what and in order to be curious you need to be open and need to be vulnerable so I just feel like it brings it all full circle mm, I like that well, thank you so much, Hannah. And where do we find you? And what's the best way to reach out? Um, the best way to reach out is you can find us at magscreative.co.uk, which is my business website. And you can email me on hannah at magscreative.co.uk. Great. Thank you so much. I Such a pleasure. I loved it. Thank you so much. <laughs> that was wonderful. Thank you. Great. Oh, that was amazing. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us here on Anatomy of a Leader. What did you discover in this episode? I'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments below. And if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button and I'll see you next week.